This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to a brand new episode of Nutshell Politics this week. Thanks so much for continuing to tune in and listen. I really appreciate all of you guys. My name is Dr. Justin Kinney, and I am excited to be with you guys as we dive into a new episode. Now, this episode is going to be kind of a step back. The last couple of weeks, we've done a throwback episode. We did a couple theory episodes. So we're going to go back to doing a current event episode this week. And I thought I would go and do a current event episode of African politics. We don't do African politics very much on this show, but I think it's a really interesting part of the world and a really important one with a lot of industrializing and developing countries and a lot of really just fascinating politics. And so we're going to talk about something that happened uh, actually about two weeks ago now. Uh, it was a man by the name of Robert Mugabe, who is a Zimbabwean politician who passed away. And so uh, we're going to talk about who Mugabe was because he's actually a pretty important international figure with a, a long history that a lot of people would consider quite infamous. And uh, his influence in the region and in the country of Zimbabwe is far-reaching and has a lot of ties to other countries as well. So we're going to take uh, today's episode and we're going to talk about who Mugabe was, where Mugabe came from, and kind of the legacy that he leaves in, in Zimbabwe and where Zimbabwe goes forward from here, and maybe what the impact of his life and death is on the country, but also the region and a lot of his allies. Uh, so we're going to just start by kicking off with kind of where Mugabe came from. Uh, so Robert Gabriel Mugabe was actually born quite poor in a country called Southern Rhodesia. Now, Southern Rhodesia was a, a British colony in Southern Africa. It's actually what later becomes Zimbabwe. It was kind of the, the predecessor state. And so they, they existed. Actually, there's two brief time periods where they kind of existed from the 20s until the mid 60s. And then again, for a, a brief period in 79 and 80 as well. Uh, but they essentially were self-governing, they were autonomous, and this was a colony from the British crown. And so Mugabe is born in 1924 in southern Rhodesia. Now again, as I said, he was born to a very, very poor family. And as Mugabe started to, to grow up, he went to college. Uh, he worked as a school teacher for a little while in a couple different countries, southern Rhodesia and northern Rhodesia in Ghana. But in these early years, uh, the colonization status of southern Rhodesia as being a, a colony of the British Empire, uh, which was obviously governed by a different ethnicity than the majority that you found in southern Rhodesia, Mugabe becomes very angry upset by this uh, to the point where you could almost argue he starts to become a little bit radicalized about this. And he joins a lot of nationalist protests, uh, initially calling for kind of an independent country of southern Rhodesia. Obviously, it becomes later Zimbabwe. And uh, he really gets into some of this very far leftist Marxist philosophy. So in 1964, I believe it is, he actually ends up being arrested and convicted and thrown into prison for about a decade because of some anti-government comments that he makes. 
And so until 1974, he's in prison, uh, but he ultimately gets released, flees the country to Mozambique and starts to become a leader of a group called ZANU. Now, ZANU is the Zimbabwe African National Union, Z-A-N-U, and it was basically a political organization that uh, ultimately becomes the, the ruling party of Zimbabwe. Uh, actually, they, they still are the ruling party of Zimbabwe, but he becomes a leader in this organization, and they become key players in what's called the Rhodesian Bush War. So this was a, a civil war, basically, for about 15 years in the 60s and 70s that uh, was... Actually, it was pretty fascinating. Let me do a little bit of a, a detour on this. The Rhodesian Bush War was essentially the liberation war for Zimbabwe when they became a country. And essentially what happened is you had the Rhodesian government, the Zimbabwe African National Liberation Army, which is kind of the military wing of that ZANU, Robert Mugabe's party. And then you had the Zimbabwe People's Revolutionary Army, uh, which was kind of a different armed wing of a political party in Rhodesia. Actually very similar to ZANU, but uh, a little bit different as well. Uh, so these three parties fight for a little over 15 years. And ultimately what this results in is Zimbabwe getting its independence and becoming internationally recognized as a, an independent country. And they start implementing a, a few interesting democratic uh, rule changes, including universal suffrage, which came about in 1979. So Mugabe comes out of this kind of civil conflict where he played a, a key role in helping Zimbabwe become independent. And so when the country is, is renamed Zimbabwe, uh, Mugabe kind of led the ZANU party to electoral victory, and he becomes prime minister of the new country. Now, in his, his early years as prime minister, again, this starting in about uh, 1980, I think it was April of 1980, uh, this lasted for about seven years or so until late 87. Uh, he is the first prime minister of, of Zimbabwe, and he implements a lot of different things. He starts to expand healthcare, expanding education across the country. And he, um, despite a lot of his Marxist philosophies that he pushes, uh, and he, he's actually very open about that, uh, he, he doesn't really do a whole lot on the economic front in terms of like socialist or Marxist philosophy. He instead kind of sticks to a lot of the more mainstream economic policies at the time. But it's also during these early years in the 80s that he starts to become very, very controversial. Uh, Robert Mugabe was part of a, a push for decolonization. And by this, this is the term that he used, but essentially what it meant is that they were going to take uh, the land that was controlled by white farmers, so this becomes a very uh, racial argument that he makes, so taking the land controlled by white farmers and, in his words, redistributing it to what he saw as the ethnic Africans. And so he, he really pushes this, this decolonization and redistribution of land. And over the next couple decades, you know, this is kind of one of his major policy pushes. Now, we're going to put that aside for a second uh, because there's some big stuff that happens on that front in the year 2000. But in the meantime, we're still in the 80s. In late 1987, the, the Zimbabwe parliament changes their constitution. They, they pass some amendments and his position changes. He's no longer a prime minister. Uh, they institute a presidential system. And so Mugabe becomes the executive president, which is a brand new position in Zimbabwe that kind of rolled three different previous positions into one, head of state, head of government, and the commander in chief of armed forces, and basically gave him a lot more power, including power to do things like declare martial law, 
Uh, they, there was no term limit, so he could just continue to run for president over and over again. It gave him actually the power to dissolve parliament, which is a pretty huge deal. And so at, up to this point, you know, Mugabe essentially gets a complete stranglehold on the entire government uh, system and gives him just immense amounts of strength in the country to the point where the parliament itself becomes less and less relevant, less and less independent, and essentially putting all the power of the government into the hands of the presidency and the executive branch that they have there. Now, I'm not going to get too much into the details of the Zimbabwe governmental system. There are a lot of other things that are taking place kind of in the 80s to 90s. You know, they increase the number of seats in parliament, of which a lot of those are can be appointed by the president, which makes it uh, really hard for anything, for any ruling to come out of parliament that overrules the presidency because he can appoint people to it and so they are very loyal to him and they kind of start pushing more and more for like a kind of a one-party state it doesn't actually happen but he starts pushing for things like that and so you start to see a lot of governmental changes that really consolidate the power around Mugabe uh, to the point where even though he is president and he continues to be re-elected um, actually in these elections he's winning things like 80 percent of the vote his level of power and control puts him on par with a lot of authoritarian dictators. And so you start to see a lot of controversy come up around how he is controlling the Zimbabwe government. Now, let's jump back to the idea of redistribution of land, because this is something that's still ongoing uh, during this entire time period. So going into the 90s, Robert Mugabe becomes very let's call him displeased with how the redistribution process is going. It's not going fast enough. Uh, he thinks there's a lot of population problems uh, with growth of population. There are There's a lot of people who are kind of emigrating to Zimbabwe, especially ethnic whites who are emigrating into Zimbabwe. And so he basically says that the redistribution is going way too slow. And so in kind of late 90s to 2000, he actually starts to openly encourage black Zimbabweans to violently take farms that are owned by whites and to kind of seize these farms for themselves. And what happens is, as he's encouraging this, we start to see a lot of violence take place between uh, the various races in Zimbabwe. And things start to really affect the economy. So food production gets slashed pretty drastically. You get famine, economic decline, uh, that all kill the country's economy, essentially. And on top of this, the international community is disliking what they're seeing, especially in the violence front here. And so international sanctions start to, to be levied against them as well. And opposition to Mugabe, uh, not only around the world, but even in his own country, start to starts to grow uh, because, again, he's starting to encourage violence. Uh, there starts to be reports of electoral fraud and with a very poor economy and a worsening economy, even a lot of his base and a lot of his constituents in Zimbabwe are starting to dislike him as well. All right, so that's a lot of backstory. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and I'll be back with you guys on the other side to talk about him in more current terms, kind of what he has done and kind of his legacy and where Zimbabwe is going from here. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, kind of his post-presidency, his death, and the, the recent funeral that just took place a week or so ago as well. Uh, so stick with me through this commercial break, and I'll be back with you guys on the other side in just about a minute. Welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking with me through that commercial break. Uh, we're going to go ahead and just dive right back into discussing Robert Mugabe. So as we talked about before the break, Mugabe kind of grew up very poor. 
uh, ended up being arrested for speaking out against the government, ends up leading a political party, and becomes the prime minister and later president of Zimbabwe. And in doing so, he is frequently seen as kind of a liberator of the Zimbabwean people. Uh, he's frequently praised for freeing Zimbabwe from British imperialism, the British colony. But that's not all. He's actually become very controversial and frequently criticized for tanking the Zimbabwe economy, uh, massive corruption, as I talked about, uh, encouraging violence against whites in Zimbabwe, so anti-white racism. Uh, there's also been accusations of human rights abuses, crimes against humanity, and all kinds of other things that uh, have kind of turned his liberation persona or image into one of uh, corruption and violence and really kind of more of an authoritarian dictator of sorts. Uh, he was in power for almost, actually, I believe it was four decades or so. So I want to spend the rest of the episode kind of touching on his legacy as a leader of Zimbabwe and kind of what his ultimate removal from power and death kind of means for the country, but also for kind of the broader community. Uh, as I said, he kind of rose as the leader of this independence movement back in the 60s and 70s and becomes the leader very quickly, kind of moves up the ranks very quickly out of poverty. But as he starts using his power to target vulnerable families in the area, hundreds of white Zimbabweans died, uh, many others were forced to flee. And all of a sudden you had tens of thousands of people killed as this turned into kind of a, a civil conflict. And as we get into the 80s, you have a group called the 5th Brigade. This, this was actually a group that basically answered directly to Mugabe and are essentially a, a terrorist or guerrilla group. Uh, they were actually trained by North Koreans, of all people, and they had a massive campaign that involved murder, theft, arson, rape, and massive, massive violence on a scale that went well beyond anything that was seen during the Rhodesian uh, Civil War that got Zimbabwe their independence in the first place. And this campaign by the 5th Brigade ended up killing about 20,000 people by most estimates, uh, most of those which were civilians. And Mugabe, not for many, many years, but many years later, he actually acknowledges that uh, mass killings did take place. And this kind of campaign of terror that responded directly to him has, has very much sullied his reputation, uh, especially as more and more of it became known over the years. A lot of it wasn't known at the beginning. And even in the time, a lot of Western governments didn't say much about what was taking place in Zimbabwe, including the United States. Uh, President Ronald Reagan at the time even brought uh, Robert Mugabe to the White House in 1983. Now, this was uh, kind of at the very early part of the 5th Brigade and their, their campaign of violence, but uh, that illustrates the, I don't say a blind eye, but maybe an ignorance that the, the West was engaged in for a long period of time. Uh, but ultimately, the West does kind of start to turn on Mugabe, and you start to see sanctions being levied against them. And you, in particular, you start to see their economy tank. Uh, by the late 90s, Zimbabwe was essentially a, an authoritarian regime that was run by corruption, incompetence. Uh, the infrastructure of the country was falling apart and decaying. Bureaucracy was collapsing. And essentially, Zimbabwe started undergoing a famine. And by 2000, the country's like, living standards and life expectancy had, had just plummeted. And just as an example of how devastating this was, uh, the country was actually well known for 
producing maize or corn. And from the final years of kind of when they were still considered Rhodesia, they were producing something like two and a half million tons of, of corn, but that plummeted to less than half a million just a decade or so later. And in the 1970s, that country that's now Zimbabwe was Rhodesia had probably, or let's say arguably the best fed uh, population in Africa, uh, particularly of the black population. But by kind of the mid to late 2000s, about three quarters of Zimbabwe was relying on some sort of food aid, which is the highest proportion of any country in the entire world. Uh, its GDP was slashed by more than 50%. Inflation went over 100,000%. Uh, unemployment was skyrocketing, about 80% unemployment in, in Zimbabwe. And so Mugabe started to really be hated and disliked. And so over the last decade or so of his tenure, he actually was was removed from power in 2017. And I'll talk about that in a second. But he, he managed to maintain that power by essentially manipulating the election. He was accused of fraudulent elections on multiple occasions, and he continued to use essentially threats of violence to maintain and control uh, the country. And even as late as kind of November of 2015, he was defiant. At this point, he was 94 years old, but he was still claiming he was going to run for re-election. And the ZANU parties agreed and named him their candidate. So even as late as you know, like late 2015, at the age of 94, he is still trying to cling to that power. But about two years later, we actually start to see something different happen. Uh, in November of 2017, he actually starts to have some infighting within his administration and ends up firing his vice president, a man by the name of Emerson uh, Nangangwa. I'm probably butchering that, so I apologize. But the firing here actually seemed very sudden, and it created kind of a, a growing suspicion among others within his party that he was really consolidating and becoming distrustful. And so even a lot of his old supporters started to turn on him. And within a couple weeks of firing of that vice president, the Zimbabwe army came in, instituted a coup, put Mugabe under house arrest, and essentially forced him to resign within a week or so. Now, he was able to negotiate a sort of legal immunity for his you know last few years or whatever until he was going to pass away so that he would not end up in prison. Uh, but he ended up dying less than two years later uh, in Singapore. Very bitter. Most of the reports are that he was still complaining about the coup and how, how it was wildly illegal and he should still be in power even up to those last days. Now, I want to talk a little bit about kind of the legacy that Mugabe leaves because a lot of the obituaries that we saw in the media of him portrayed him as kind of this freedom fighter, kind of a, a charismatic freedom fighter who just went bad over the years. And I think that's a very misleading way to put it. Obviously, he does have a history of leading Zimbabwe to independence, and you can't take that away. I think that's important to remember. But he was he was not just some sort of you know man corrupted by power. He was a violent demagogue, essentially, who was engaged in some very evil acts, essentially a racial cleansing of Zimbabwe and corruption, election fraud, violence, a lot of mass murder, rape, arson, as I said, ethnic cleansing, human rights violations, crimes against humanity, all took place under his leadership as he clung to power for four decades. Now, the reason this was in the news is that Mugabe actually died about two weeks ago on September 6th. 
Uh, he was on a medical trip in Singapore, as I said. He was in a hospital there, and, and he passed away at the age of 95. And this has led to a lot of debate, even within Zimbabwe, over how they should treat him. Uh, because some still do kind of praise him as their liberation hero, but others treat him as a, a violent despot and, as I said, like a monster. And so there actually was a funeral for him that they put in a very large stadium in Zimbabwe, kind of like a, a memorial service of sorts. And on the surface, it was essentially an honor as a kind of a hero's farewell. But when you start to really look at it, you know, he, this was taking place in a massive, massive stadium where they anticipated hundreds of thousands of people, maybe not hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of people to show up. And instead, the funeral was largely empty, that the stadium did not have many people there. It was an almost empty stadium. Uh, there were a few thousand people who showed up to kind of say goodbye. Uh, it was, but it was a very sparsely attended state funeral in the capital city of Zimbabwe, probably three quarters or more empty. Uh, I think this kind of underscores what a lot of Zimbabweans thought of Mugabe. Uh, it was a very uncomfortable procedure from what I've heard, as a lot of the supporters of Mugabe, who were you know part of the funeral procession, carrying out the coffin, they were immediately struck by you know how few members of the citizenry of the public had even bothered to show up. But you do have to ask a couple questions here as to why does he still have such support after nearly 40 years? And kind of where does Zimbabwe go from here? And I think there's a, there's a couple answers to this. So one is that a lot of Zimbabweans, you know, 40 years is not that long ago. There were people who are alive today who still remember the, the liberation that Mugabe helped lead. And so there's a lot of loyalty there. Uh, but he also was noted for having a very kind of populist message of saying, you know, Africans should be the ones taking control of their resources. We should kick out the colonial masters and, you know, Africans should be the ones in charge of Africans. And so it was a very kind of populist argument that was popular in certain circles across uh, the country and even across other countries in Africa. While a lot of sanctions were slapped on Zimbabwe and Mugabe himself from countries like the United States and Britain and other kind of Western nations, the other African countries did not treat him quite as strictly because of some of those populist pro-Africa messages. But the brutal military campaign that he waged against all kinds of people, but especially against uh, whites across Zimbabwe that essentially, as I've said a couple times now, was a, an ethnic cleansing of sorts. This, I think, really had a lot of people turn on him. They caused a lot of people to to turn their back on him, and especially as it became apparent that the economy was really struggling under him as well, and the kind of the dictator-like behavior that he started to engage in and the election fraud in these later years. But the, the stain that Mugabe leaves on kind of the history of Zimbabwe's human rights record is something that will take decades probably to, to even start to erase and his kind of early years and some of the early investments he put towards things like healthcare and education, I think were really diminished and potentially even uh, completely eroded by some of the, the violence and crimes against humanity and the damage that he inflicted upon Zimbabwe itself, the people of Zimbabwe, the leadership of Zimbabwe and kind of the reputation of the country as a whole in the international community. Now, internationally, Mugabe does have a lot of connections, including some in America. He actually, back in the 80s, met with the U.S. civil rights activist Jesse Jackson during a summit. 
Uh, as I said, Ronald Reagan had him at the White House in 83. He met with Queen Elizabeth II back in the early 90s. He met with President Bill Clinton in uh, 95. We have seen this, this man connect with politicians across the West for many years that in a lot of ways, I think were, he saw in particular, and some, some of his citizenry saw as kind of a legitimization of him as a leader. But in those last couple decades, he really lost a lot of that influence and a lot of that charity that was given to him despite some of his records by the West. And he became much more anti-West in his uh, rhetoric as well. And December of 2010, he actually threatened any sort of Western investment into Zimbabwe uh, unless governments removed sanctions that had been slapped on him. So he was very anti-West in a lot of his rhetoric. But I want to actually end the episode today by talking a little bit about kind of the future of Zimbabwe going forward. Uh, Robert Mugabe was the leader of Zimbabwe for, as I said, nearly 40 years. Uh, he's really the only leader they've had since their independence. And even though his death was long anticipated, because as I said, he was 95 years old, this has kind of thrown the country into a little bit of upheaval over the last couple of years as they adjust and try to figure out where to go forward from there. There are questions that he, about his widow, his widow, uh, whose name is Grace Mugabe, may enter the political sphere. There were rumors a couple of years ago before he stepped down or was forced to step down that he was going to name her his vice president, which raised a lot of questions about nepotism and other corruption. But she has shown interest in politics. So there's questions about that. Uh, that vice president that he ended up firing, Emerson uh, Nangangwa, he ended up winning the next election. And so he is currently the president. So the same party, so that ZANU party is still in power. Uh, but he was the same one who was fired by Mugabe in kind of his later years. But ultimately, the political future of Zimbabwe looks very messy. Uh, this new government under uh, Emerson Nangangwa uh, is trying to implement some pretty stringent strident economic reforms. But the later years of Mugabe uh, basically eroded any sort of public trust in government and the corruption, the, comp, uh, the, the incompetence that people really laid at the feet of the government has made it very difficult to push through any sort of necessary economic measures that the current leader is trying to do. And so the economic hardship for this country of Zimbabwe is, is still very, very low. Their democracy is still very broken. And the election fraud arguments that have been there for for decades, really the last decade or so in particular, is still there, even though Mugabe is no longer. There's a large percentage of the population that believes last year's elections were rigged. And so we, we may end up seeing more protests. Uh, we, we've seen protests in other African countries recently that may uh, spark similar things in Zimbabwe going forward. And ultimately, this may have some repercussions that carry across Africa as well, as he is uh, one of the, the longest-serving African leaders ever. And how this new president chooses to react and chooses to form relationships with other countries and how he chooses to, to implement any sort of new reforms will be very closely watched by the rest of Africa. And there will be a lot of questions going forward as to whether or not this new leader, since he was part of the same party as, as Mugabe and his vice president for so long, how far from the tree uh, this apple will actually fall. Uh, so I think this is a, a really fascinating case. I, I don't do African politics a lot on here, but Africa has some pretty complex and fascinating political structures and political environments. And so I really wanted to touch on this one case in particular 
and just kind of talk about that. And I hope that was really interesting for you guys. It was really interesting for me to read about and talk about as well. Um, but we're going to go ahead and shut down the episode. As always, if you're interested in getting in contact with me to talk about this or anything else, or if you want to suggest topics for future episodes or anything along those lines, uh, please reach out to me. You can find me on Twitter at Justin R underscore Kinney. You can also find me on Facebook. I have an author page, J. Robert Kinney. I write mystery novels. I have two mystery novels out. One came out about three years ago, and one came out last November called Precipice and Splintered State. So please check those out as well. But you can also find my page, hit the subscribe or follow buttons on both Facebook and Twitter. You know, Find me, follow me. be happy to talk with you guys more about this and connect with you in any other way. Uh, if you're interested in supporting the podcast or supporting me in any way, you can always find my Patreon account online. But if you're interested in advertising on the podcast, I'd be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. So please reach out and we can uh, set something up. But with that, I'm going to go ahead and close things out for this week. So thanks so much for tuning in. And until next week, this is Nutshell Politics. My name is Dr. Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one. Yeah.